breaker one, breaker one might be crazy, but I ain't dumb. Crazy cooter coming at you. Hey, fast line, fast track. Y'all got your ears on out there? John Deere to New Holland. Just look at the load I'm hauling. Hard work, I hit it harder. Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer. Sun up to sundown. Backing up traffic all the way to town. Camo hat and a farmer's town. Cause I'm a working man. Welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's great to have you with us. On this week's show, we kick off coverage of the American Farm Bureau Federation's virtual annual convention. We learn how Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow is preparing to reprise her role as chair of the Senate Ag Committee. Corteva's Jeff Clark shares pasture management tips. Jesse Allen talks about a big week in the markets. And our buddy, the hot rod farmer, Ray Bohax, has another installment of Bushels and Cents. Finally, we hear the music of rising Nashville star Noah Garner. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, the virtual American Farm Bureau Federation convention was held this week, and we have a few outtakes from it for you. It was the 102nd Farm Bureau National Convention, but the first ever virtual convention for the group. Up first, we have a few outtakes from President Zippy Duvall's opening address to farmers and ranchers as he tries to rally the membership during an interesting time in the agriculture industry. 2020 has been a year of challenges and high expectations for our farmers. Expectations that we will continue to grow the food, fiber, and energy for our country and a lot of the rest of the world. We have risen to that challenge and those expectations all along trying to protect our employees, our families from this pandemic. Duvall also spoke about the role Farm Bureau played from the outset of the coronavirus outbreak. When the pandemic threatened the entry of farm workers, we made sure that those workers got to your farm so that you could grow and harvest the crops on your farm. When farmers and ranchers were trying to provide protection equipment for our workers on the farm and their families, we went to Congress and made sure in the CARES Act that they helped you pay for that equipment and the extra housing that you were providing for people during the pandemic. When our farmers had to dump their milk out and our other farmers were plowing their vegetables under the ground because of plant closures, we worked with USDA and our state farm bureaus and other organizations across the country to find other ways for you to market your products. We even helped USDA create a farm to family food box that was given out to millions of Americans across the country in a very difficult time in their lives. I'm especially proud of our state farm bureaus for giving back to their community by connecting farmers to organizations that were helping people in need. In fact, our Farm Bureau family has donated nearly $5 million, a million pounds of food, and thousands of volunteer hours to charities and food banks across the country. President Duvall also talked about efforts made in recent years to bring various groups within agriculture closer together. We're more connected than ever, and we're getting great things done for American farmers and ranchers. We are stronger together. Over the past four years, I've talked with groups of farmers all across America about this being our time to make a lasting positive impact Farm Bureau has the mission, the resources, and talent, the grassroots engagement, and the relationships to achieve big wins for agriculture. We have made the most out of our time. 
The relationships we have built with Congress and the administration helped deliver $38 billion to help our farmers survive and continue producing the nation's food supply. Perhaps the greatest win came in the regulatory arena. We succeeded in replacing the waters of the U.S. rule with a new clean water rule that complies with the law. We've achieved new policy for our farmers to access crop protection tools that they needed. We've achieved updates in endangered species policy and management of our western lands. Tax reform enacted in 2017 have helped farmers keep more of what they worked hard for and earned so that they could reinvest it in our farms and ranches. New trade agreements promise brighter days ahead for us in our exports. Of course, there's been a lot of tension over the last couple of years about the trade war with China and the impact that it's had on our farm exports, and rightfully so. But the reality is the past couple of years have been very productive in the area of new trade deals. With the U.S.-Japan agreement, the U.S.-Mexican-Canada agreement, and the China Phase One agreement that commits China to purchasing about $40 billion a year of U.S. commodities, almost twice the level of exports to China before the trade war started. Now we've had a presidential election, and in a few days we'll have a new president and a new Congress that will be sworn in. Folks, let me assure you, it's still our time. Farm Bureau has built strong, productive relationships with every administration, every Congress, and we're already building those relationships again to continue to be the strong national voice of agriculture. But regardless of who's in Washington, Farm Bureau's impact comes down to our active, engaged grassroots members. We must work together because we still have much more to do for our American farmers. We must evaluate the impact of COVID-19 on our food system and recognize what worked and what needs to be changed. Duval also spoke about the continuing need to address the mental health crisis in rural America, including on our nation's farms and ranches. We must address the mental stress that many of our agriculture and rural communities are coping with. Farm Bureau launched our Farm State of Mind campaign in 2020 to encourage farm families to talk about the issue and eliminate the unnecessary, harmful stigma that is attached to mental health. And we must ensure that there are more mental health resources available to rural Americans. He also hit on another hot button issue in the minds of many farmers and ranchers, climate change and the environment. We must make sure that we are at the table for the discussions around addressing climate change. Farmers already have a great story to tell. When it comes to protecting our environment, about 140 million acres of farmland are enrolled in the conservation programs. That's more than the land mass of California and New York combined. Renewable fuels are made from agricultural feedstocks and are helping to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 71 million metric tons per year, the equivalent of taking 17 million cars off the road. Now, I'm not saying that we rest on those laurels, but I believe agriculture's great track record shows just how much we could achieve when farmers and ranchers are at the table when we develop solutions. And another big topic on the minds of many in agriculture is taxes. Duval also talked about the need for farmers and ranchers' voices to be heard on the issue. We still have a lot of work to do on our taxes. The current agriculture exemption from the estate tax will expire in 2025. We need to make sure that that exemption
exemption is permanent, and we must protect the tax cuts enacted in 2017. Duvall also spoke on a number of other key topics that likely will rise to the top of the organization's agenda in 2021 and beyond. We have to solve the problem of insufficient agricultural labor once and for all. We need to build more markets for our U.S. farm exports around the world. And ag innovation will be more important than ever as we move into the future. Innovation has been our edge for the past hundred years. We must maintain investment in agricultural research and continue to develop and improve new plant breeding technologies in order to meet the food demands that lie before us. And to ensure that rural America participates in an innovative future, we must increase access to broadband. These are the issues of our age, our time. And as we've always done at Farm Bureau, we will lead the way. Has it been a tough year? You darn right it has. But we're going to persevere just like we always do. In Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 25, God tells us that he will quench the weary soul. I think he was speaking to me because I'm not only quenched, I am on fire. I can't wait to get to a new normal so that we can charge forward and engage in person with Congress and the new administration. But in the meantime, we aren't missing a beat. Farm Bureau is firing on all cylinders, and I can honestly say that I've never been prouder to be part of this organization. To every farmer and rancher who has persevered through difficulties and ensured the American people they could find food on the grocery store shelves, at the food banks, and at our restaurants, thank you. We are proud to have America's back, and we don't take for granted the trust that Americans put and us. Well, also at the American Farm Bureau Federation's virtual convention on Wednesday, Farm Bureau announced Harvest, a Washington State software company, was the winner of the Ag Innovation Challenge. The company received a total of $50,000 in prize money to help grow the business. Harvest CEO and co-founder James Christopher Hall says the contest offers more than the title of Entrepreneur of the Year. Well, it feels like a real accomplishment. We've had the opportunity to work with a lot of good folks through the competition process. So it's been a richly rewarding and learning experience. And the prize and the title of Entrepreneur of the Year is kind of the cherry on top. Huge thank you to the Farm Bureau staff that have helped shepherd us and the judges and mentors as well, provoking us to really think more about our business. Hall explained that Harvest is a human resources app for the farm. So we help farms with the most critical HR tasks like hiring new employees, doing their safety training, and keeping everyone on the farm on the same page. And we do that in a way that's simple, that's fast, that's organized, and that's accessible to everyone on the farm. The challenge is sponsored by Farm Credit, Bear Crop Science, Farm Bureau Bank, Farm Bureau Financial Service, FMC Corporation, and John Deere. With their support, Hall says the competition helps rural businesses become better. When you go through the competition, the judges ask you a lot of questions. The application process asks you a lot of questions, and it forces you to really think deeply about your business, what you offer to farmers in America, and where you want to go from there. And then you, of course, have the judges and the mentors who are available to help you as well. And the promotional aspect from being in the competition has already helped us as we are looking to expand into states all across the country. We'll, we'll have more from the American Farm Bureau Federation virtual convention on next week's show, including a discussion on the outlook for the livestock markets in 2021, so we hope you'll come back for that. Chandler Equipment. For 51 years, Chandler Equipment has been manufacturing excellence. 
The finest quality in pull type and truck mount fertilizer lime spreaders and litter spreaders, fertilizer tenders, seed tenders, and litter conveyors. They also sell a full line of Raven Industries Precision Ag products. To find out more about the full Chandler product line or to find a Chandler equipment dealer near you, visit ChandlerEquipment.net or give them a call at 800-243-3319. Well, also this week, Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow will soon be returning to her former position as chair of the Senate Ag Committee. And we've learned she's not wasting any time delving into key agricultural issues. Stabenow already has been in contact with ranking member John Boozman of Arkansas to address agriculture's challenges, particularly on trade. I've talked with a new U.S. trade rep that has been nominated. I'm confident that they are committed to a stable, open trade policy. They understand we're in a global economy. They understand that agriculture culture needs trade, needs markets. I feel confident moving forward, even though there's a lot of work to do, that we'll be able to stabilize and create a more consistent trading situation. Additionally, Stabenow hopes to provide agriculture with more certainty, stability, and finding avenues to grow. Frankly, government shouldn't be in the business of deciding what to plant and who's profitable, which unfortunately has been happening in the last few years. We've seen more than $50 billion in aid in ad hoc payments, replacement markets as the major driver of farm profitability. And we can't sustain that. I know our farmers don't want that. And so I expect a different approach under the Biden administration. Another priority of the committee under the Biden administration is combating the climate crisis. Stabenow expects that the administration will recognize what agriculture is already doing and to make any programs producer friendly and flexible. When we look at sort of the framework for how we could create a voluntary carbon market and a new revenue source, which is very doable, and uh, I hope we can move forward quickly to begin to get things in place. We have a bipartisan framework, uh, a Growing Climate Solutions Act that I'm authoring with Senator Mike Braun, my friend from Indiana. Stabenow's final priority is preparing for the 2023 Farm Bill. I want to make sure the next one has Michigan on every page again. And uh, we're going to be spending a lot of time uh, looking at the effectiveness of what we have done and how we can expand on that. Or if it, if it hasn't worked, then we shouldn't do it. And we want to thank Ashley Davenport of Michigan Ag Today for that report. Well, next up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, it's been a big week in the markets. And Jesse Allen is here to tell us all about it in this week's Market Talk Report. Jesse. Well, thank you very much, Brent, and happy to be back for another week here on Fast Line Fast Track with this uh, market update. And back on Tuesday of last week, USDA released its WASD quarterly grain stocks and winter wheat seedings reports, which resulted in, among other changes, lowered corn production and soybean ending stocks. Jim McCormick with agmarket.net was a guest on Tuesday's Market Talk podcast after the reports came out, and he points first to a few factors with corn that ultimately led to the bullish move higher in that market that caught people off guard. What's bullish about it is how they got there. Part of it was they lowered the Corley grain stock report, which is friendly. On top of it, they lowered the production, which is more friendly. But then what everyone's looking at is they cut ethanol demand by 100 million, which is a little bit questionable right now, maybe a little bit down, but 100 million seems a little bit top, a little bit strong based on the decent numbers we've seen and look for the economic recovery of the economy. But more importantly, they cut the exports by 100 million. Our export pace has been running ahead of the five-year average. By all accounts, China's going to have to import 25 to 30 million metric tons of corn. If they have to import that much more corn, there's no other corn in the world to buy from but us. That means instead of lowering exports like they did, they eventually got to reverse that and raise it. So the net was 
the drop of the carryout down to 1.55. And the market said, wait a second, do you think the carryout's going to be down to billion five hundred fifty million to get there? We got a ration demand. And the fact of the matter is, even though the government suggested we ration demand based on their accounting, the price isn't there enough to ration it. And hence the 25 cent move up on the corn market. He also shares his thoughts on the soybean market and why it exploded higher, even though most of the numbers came in within the range of pre-report expectations. When we jump to beans, the bean report, they raised the demand for crush. They raised the demand for exports. They did raise imports a little bit. The net, Jesse, was a carryout of 140 million bushel carryout, which is exactly what the average trade guess was. But what happened? The market exploded higher. We closed almost 50 cents higher. What's going on there? The market doesn't believe that carryout's at 140 million. The market thinks it's going to be closer to 100 million when it's all said and done. But think about this. At 140 million carryout, you're talking stocks use at 3%. That would be the tightest ever, stocks to use. The previous two year times we've had stocks use about 4.5%. We got the $16 beans and $18 beans. McCormick now looks ahead to the acreage battle shaping up in the U.S. and what that could mean for this market moving forward. He also says don't look at the price, but rather look at your balance sheet when making marketing decisions. I think what you're going to see is a lot of acreage increasing in both beans and corn. Um, we've got a drought going on, which is kind of positive and negative. The negative side is if it stays dry, we know what can happen this summer. But you know, they have a, a dry the dryness potentially is, means maybe we're not going to prevent plant problems we had in the last couple of years, which could bring eight, nine million acres of production back in the line. So, you know, specifically for producers, this is where we're suggesting, hey, you know, you're looking at some phenomenal prices. Don't be afraid to reward the market as well as new crop. You're looking at new crop corn over 450. You're looking at dollars that you could have only dreamed of, you know, six months ago. So we're encouraging people, you know, start looking at your balance sheet. Don't look at the price. Look at the revenue you're locking in. And there's multiple ways you can lock in the floors as well as keep them, you know, upside open with options, sell cash, buy calls, maybe buy puts, maybe buy some of the shorter day puts, which put a floor in through the spring. But start to look, take a serious approach to what's going to happen. It is going to be a volatile market. He also wants producers to remember where we were a year ago with price levels and that now is a great time to lock in profit, not just for old crop, but new crop for 2021 in 2022. We're starting to focus on 2021, but the higher these prices go, I think you got to look at 2022. Because one thing we know that's different than 20, even 20, the drought year of 2012 is you got South America online. So the higher pr our prices go this spring and summer, the more acreage you're going to increase into our fall harvest as they start planting. So we want to encourage producers to take advantage of it. Now, we want to be pragmatic. When you're talking to stocks use at 3% on the beans, you're talking stocks use of corn that's a little over 10% right now. We believe it'll be under 10% when it's all said and done. You want to keep that top side open, but that's what the market's for. You can sell cash grain and you can buy calls. Now, calls aren't going to be cheap. There's no doubt about it. But then again, you're locking revenue levels you haven't been able to lock in for years. So the trade-offs are there. So you can, you can build a program right now that allows you to guarantee some phenomenal revenue, but keep your upside open in case this weather does become a problem. And McCormick believes that volatility in the market is here to stay for a while. Depending on how the weather plays out and how the acreage plays out, there's going to be a lot of volatility in this market. Not just today, not just tomorrow, but I believe all the way through the summer of 2021. Again, McCormick reminds producers to take a look at where price levels are compared to a year ago, and that right now is a fantastic opportunity to lock in profits.
For Fast Line Fast Track in Nashville, I'm Jesse Allen. Well, you can find Jesse's daily market updates at markettalkag.com. Again, that's markettalkag.com. You can also find him by searching Market Talk on Facebook. He also appears on the American Ag Network, and you can hear him host Your Ag Today weekday mornings about 6.50 a.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Satellite Radio Rural Radio Channel 147. Well, with many areas of the nation experiencing moderate to severe drought during the 2020 grazing season, we're seeing stressed pastures and rangeland leading to overgrazing. So we wanted to bring in Jeff Clark, the market development specialist with Corteva AgriScience, himself a fourth generation cattle rancher, to talk about strategies for helping those weakened forage stands recover. And Jeff, welcome back to Fast Line Fast Track. Brent, good to see you again. It's good to see you. You know, last year we were talking about wet ground this year we're talking about extremely dry ground so why is it important to establish a plan that sets up grazing land for success leading into the 2021 grazing season and why is now the right time to start thinking about that yeah so it's always good to put a plan down and be proactive and the reason is is because we as ranchers uh, him or hers out there we want to make sure that we're we're targeting that return of investment and being proactive truly helps drive that bottom line so we're not having those um, expenses start adding up and taking away from uh, from our profits at the end of the line. Um, in fall time period is the best time to do that. Um, pretty much, you know, uh, if you're fall calving, you know, you're you're maybe in midway or you're at the tail end of that. Or if you're, um, you know, you're spring calving, pretty much uh, all calves have already shipped out by now. Or again, you're on the very tail end of that. So you're getting into maybe uh, 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 you know, uh, hauling in the, the rest of your hay. Um, but you got a lot of downtime, honestly, right now. So it's a good time to reevaluate your pastures. Where did you have uh, the least amount of forage? Where did you have the, the, amount, uh, the, the highest amount of weeds? What did your hay pastures produce? You know, what was the tonnage on that? And in some of those drought-prone areas this year, uh, they struggled in, that, in those areas. So I would always suggest someone to start off, hey, let's go and let's pull soil samples. Let's see where um, our pH is. Let's see what nutrients we need to put back in there. And that is one of the things on, on hay ground, Brent, is we normally don't put back what we take off and we lose every year. We decline that field every year. So taking those, uh, getting those soil samples, getting those in, pulling the analysis, and uh, actually putting back the nutrients that need to be in there is gonna help any drought uh, prone uh, pasture or hay field. Um, and then the second thing is, is just, you know, how long are you grazing those cattle on that field? Uh, maybe, you know, right now is a good time to set up a rotational grazing program for 2021. Uh, if you are spring calving, what fields can you, you know, you calve out in that, the, you know, there's going to have a little bit more grass, a little bit more forage out there for those cows to, to eat on to get some of that, that good protein uh, that is needed during those times. Uh, and then after that, you know, look, we got to look at the weed control. And the reason is, is because, you know, as well as I do, Brent, that weeds, uh, especially the perennial weeds that have a true carbohydrate, a true food source uh, in the root system, they are going to take up the water. They're going to take up the nutrients that our grasses need so badly. Um, so we need to make sure that we're controlling those. So having a good herbicide program 
uh, uh, in in that uh, uh, portfolio that you're building right now for 2021 is, is very important. And as we talked about on here last time, pasture management is so important to herd health and preventing parasites that can just wreak havoc. Oh, absolutely. Uh, that's probably one of the one things that a lot of ranchers don't really think about is, um, you know, gosh, when I'm running into these, you know, these parasites, these worms, uh, I'll just use a dewormer when honestly, if we just sit back and manage our pastures a little tighter, we can really help out on that. Um, the thing is, is that the, you know, that larva is down there towards the, uh, uh, the three to four inch range of the uh, grass. Uh, so therefore overgrazing uh, those pastures and not, you know, having that rotational grazing program in there, uh, that larva is then ingested and then we can have a lot of, you know, parasite issues. Um, and I'm not saying that dewormers are not good. They are. But, uh, you know, you can easily find some resistance in those dewormers or with the dewormers because uh, we're using them constantly when we could be adding another tool to the toolbox. And that is keeping enough leafage on that grass. Again, that's going to help the photosynthesization of the grass. It's going to help it with, you know, with drought stress times, but also making sure that we're uh, cutting back that percentage of larva intake through grazing. So you spend every day thinking about this stuff. How can Corteva help with pasture management? Yeah, Corteva AgriScience has a wonderful pa uh, range of pasture herbicide portfolio uh, that's available to uh, anyone at any time. Um, one of our new herbicides that just came out, which was a successful launch, honestly, it was one of the most successful launches uh, out there in our company history. Um, and that goes back to the Dow and DuPont legacy days that makes up Corteva. Uh, that product was called, it's called Duracore Herbicide. It's our uh, first herbicide with our brand new active ingredient called Rinsecore. Uh, it's been about 15 years, Brent, since we've had a new active hit the market. And this year was the year that we developed that and brought that to the market. Um, it controls 140 plus weeds. A lot of those weeds, Grazon Next just doesn't do a good job on, uh, that Duracore does do a fantastic job on. A lot of those perennial weeds that again are drivers uh, that really take away the nutrients from our grasses, Duracore uh, at the 16 ounce rate uh, can control very quickly. And that's another unique thing about Duracore. There's no 2,4-D in it, so there's no volatility concerns and it's a very low use rate. 12 to 20 ounces is the use rate for Duracore herbicide. Well, if folks want to know more about any of this or, or pasture management, uh... Uh, best practices, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, so you can always go to Corteva U.S. Pastures. Uh, you can go to uh, rangeandpasture.com uh, uh, to find all of our portfolio. You can follow us on Twitter as well. We do a lot of information on Twitter, uh, uh, practical things. And we also do some live feeds on Facebook where we take Q&As. So make sure and follow Corteva U.S. Pastures on Twitter and Facebook and then go to www.rangeandpasture.com uh, to find more about our portfolio. Well, this is all really great stuff. And Jeff, we appreciate you taking the time to come back here and, and enlighten us. And I hope people will take all this to heart. Brent, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure once again, my friend. Again, we've been talking with Jeff Clark, the market development specialist with Corteva AgriScience. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, it's time for another installment of Bushels and Scents with our buddy, the Hot Rod Farmer, Ray Bohax. Don't forget, you can check out all his great multimedia content at FarmMachineryDigest.com. Welcome to Bushels and Scents, a weekly podcast from the Farm Machinery Digest. I am your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer. 
And never forget, it is not what you make, but what you keep that counts. Your drive-by-wire pickup truck suddenly puts the service engine soon light on and will not go above 20 miles per hour, regardless of the throttle position. It has a trouble code for the throttle body, which costs between $500 and $1,000 for your model. Before you pull a trigger and buy the part, check the throttle pedal for field dirt and mud. There are two sensors there that can get affected and set a false code. If it is so, you just saved the equivalent of between 143 and 285 bushels of corn by checking. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Visit FarmMachineryDigest.com, where steel and soil meet. And don't forget, Rainbow Hacks has launched Farm Machinery Digest Radio on Sirius XM Satellite Radio, Channel 147, Rural Radio. It airs each Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern and again on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern. I hope you'll go and give him a listen. Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, we head on over to the musical side of the house where this week's special guest is a former American Idol contestant and a rapidly rising star in the country music industry who's poised to launch his debut full-length album in the coming weeks. And we can't wait to tell you all about that in a bit, as well as to share some of his great music with you. Noah Garner, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Well, man, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. How you been? Man, so far, so good. Glad to have 2020 behind us. Looking forward to 2021. Amen. I tell you what, it's been a tough year for, for all of us, man. How, how did you make a go of it uh, still trying to build an audience through all this? Man, uh, it's it was an interesting process. It's always fun to see how things will move as time goes forward. You know, streaming services change things. You know, the music videos change things. The way people consume changes. Apps come out. All that stuff changes. Yeah. And then on you add on top of that the fact that now everybody's at home um it was really interesting to watch how it was in a lot of ways it made it hard and other ways it almost made it easier because everybody was at home and everybody was accessible yeah for sure captive audience well i tell you what man before we get things cranking tonight will you kick off the show with a song for us yeah absolutely man so i uh wanted to play this song for y'all i haven't played it yet in 2021 it's actually the title track to the album all pieces of me it goes like this driving to the end of red oak road good buddies a couple of beers and no alcohol it's a highway to heaven hidden in the pine trees we'll be fishing all day off sandy creek i got old faded pictures sitting on the dashboard cigarettes and skull pants hidden in the side door a gold watch in my old man's ball cap. Granddaddy's rifle in the gun rack and granny's Bible to remind me of the man I'm trying to be. These are the pieces of me. Now I'm 
got a girl, sweet as can be. She likes hunting, fishing, mud, loving on me. She loves to go to the river at night and drop the tailgate and talk about life. If I get lucky, it's gonna be one of those kind of nights with my old faded picture sitting on the dashboard. Cigarettes and skull cans sitting in the side door. A gold watch and my old man's ball cap. Granddaddy's rifle and the gun rack and Granny's Bible. She remind me. The man I'm trying to be These are the pieces of me Like a Sunday morning service That hits you right in your soul Man, life gets tough and this road gets rough, but I've got places to go with my own faded picture sitting on the dashboard. Cigarettes and skull cans still in the side door. The Lord watching my old man's ball cap, granddad's rifle with a gun rack and granny's Bible. To remind me of the man I try so hard to be. These are the pieces. These are the pieces. These are the pieces of me. Oh, yeah, that's some country music right there. <laughs> Thank you so much. I love it. Great stuff. And if you're just joining us, we're here with Noah Garner. Noah is the pride of Dade City, Florida, the same town that gave us the Bellamy Brothers, the world-famous Bellamy Brothers. Tell us about growing up there and what you remember about country music becoming an influence in your life. To, to, uh, to describe that, golly, growing up there... <sighs> The best part of Dade City for me was always my family. It was always the fact that, like, I was always with them. No matter where I was in that city, somebody knew somebody in my family. They knew where they were. They knew what was going on. Um, and for a lot of what inspired, like, that song, Pieces of Me, riding in my grandpa's truck down Red Oak Road, going to a fishing hole, fishing with Zebcos. Like, that's, that's all Dade City. That's all home. You know, and then on top of that, you, you add in the fact that, like, it's just you get those first early memories, you know, your first digging your hands in the mud and getting dirty, your first, you know, truck ride, your first four wheeler ride, your first camping, your first all that. That's all day city for me. So you're riding around in grandpa's truck. What were we listening to? Oh, man, what were we listening to? It was, so we had a Alan Jackson CD that we listened to religiously that we would pop on. Is every morning all the way to, to school, we listen to Alan Jackson, sing that same CD religiously. Anytime we change cars, we take that that one CD always came. Um, so we listen to a lot of Alan Jackson, a lot of George Jones, 
um, Keith Whitley, George Strait, Garth Brooks, all the good stuff. Yeah. I love it. So you started singing and playing guitar at age six, and then 10 years later, you're auditioning for American Idol and receiving that golden ticket to advance the executive producer round. What was that whole experience like? Man, that's something that I don't talk about a ton because it's such uh -huh. a wild ride. Um, when you start, when as a kid, you know, when I picked up my first guitar, I don't think I ever thought that, oh, hey, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. It was just, that's what I like to do. It's, yeah. I was drawn to it. And then going to American Idol and you get up there and you always, at least in my family, the way I've always kind of worked is you hope for the best, but you expect the worst. <laughs> and cause you never know, because yeah. I mean, there's a million people that are doing what we're doing. And it, it and it's like you know trying to catch lightning in a bottle. It's like, will that spark happen? Is it the right moment, the right time, with the right people? Are you in the right place? Are you okay? Are they okay? Maybe they had a bad day. Yeah. So you just never know. So this, you know, have this cosmic thing of, okay, I'm gonna just give it what I got and see what happens. And then to have a moment where you're. I don't know the right word. Like you're showing, it's showing to you that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. That's what that moment was. Hey man, you, it's not like you can just sing, like you're really good. Huh. Here's this golden ticket. It's, it's something that you might want to look at. And that was kind of the point where we went from, Oh, Hey, you know, I, I like to sing and play around Panama city and, you know, day city and just kind of do some gigs with a guitar to, Hey, this might be getting serious. You might have something here. Yeah. What'd that do for your confidence? Confidence wise, it shot me through the floor. I can't lie to you. That it was because that was the it was my first realization that oh man, I've got to take this serious. And if I'm going to take it serious, the bar is so much higher. You know what yeah. I mean? When you really start digging into it, there are people that can sing circles around me. There there are people that are you know ten years old that sing better than anybody you've ever heard, and they're there and. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it, and then you get told no a lot. You know, yeah. I got, I got told no. They, they, we went through so much and then to get to one point and then and finally look at you and go, Hey, you're not what we're looking for. That's yeah. a lot of like, Oh man, if I'm yeah. going to take this serious, I'm going to have to learn how to shoulder that and keep going through that. And, and learn how to find that confidence in yourself after something like that. So in a weird way, it kind of tanked me, but taught me how to build a, a backbone for myself and really stand on what I believe in, what I like to play in, in my sound. Yeah. I mean, you talk about this being such a competitive business. Uh, you went about it uh, right out of high school, cutting your teeth on lower Broadway, getting into some of those places like Tootsie's and Rippies and, 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 they, you know, uh, yeah. Honky Tonk Central and, and yeah. Redneck Riviera and all those. Wild. Uh, man, what did that teach you? Playing those long four-hour sets and, and having different crowds in there all the time. Uh, that, that that had to be quite an experience. Man, I, I got to be honest. You can go to college for something you want to do, mm -hmm. and it will teach you what you want to do. You know, if you want to be a doctor, you go to medical school. And there's books and there's teachers that are there to – be like, hey, here's what it takes to be a doctor. Uh -huh. If 
for me, if you really want to learn what it takes to be an entertainer, to be not just a singer, but somebody that can actually entertain people, because I feel like there's a difference in that. Yeah. Um, that it factor thing that people talk about, if there was ever a school for it, if there was ever a way to learn how to do it, mm-hmm. walk down Broadway all mm-hmm. day, like stay, stay on Broadway all day and walk down the street yeah. to each bar. You'll hear some of the best singers, some of the best players. You'll see some of the coolest shows. You'll remember these great songs. You'll have a moment somewhere. Yeah. And so like as a job, it was the best way for me to, I was broke. It was, so, you know, it was the craziest way to make money to me. And I learned so much doing it. And I was, it's crazy because I was almost fired for not being entertaining enough and, and not singing well enough. And, and that's how big it is down there. That's how important it is to learn entertainment, learn your craft, learn people, learn your craft. Learn yeah. that you're playing for four hours as a singer. If you don't sing properly, if you don't have proper technique, you're going to ruin your voice. Yeah. And, you know, you're going to go home at the end of the day talking like this. Yeah. And, and you know, so, yeah, it's, it was crazy how much school I went through uh, there. One of the things that's always fascinated me about the really good ones down there is just how many songs like you could call out any song and there's guys that'll play it i mean you're talking about having to know not only the lyrics but the chords for you know (laughs) hundreds of songs how many songs do you think you had in your repertoire by the time you really kind of started moving on to other things man that's a that's a crazy question i don't think anybody's ever asked me that if i have to really think about it we're we're talking I would say easily probably 1500 songs. Wow. And that's because we're not talking about just country songs. Yeah. We're talking about everything. We're down yeah. there. We did, I mean, we did everything from Eminem to, you know, Patsy Cline to the Beastie Boys to Metallica. I mean, we yeah. did everything. What so, was your most requested? Most requested? Yeah. Most requested artist or song? Because, uh, song. Song. Probably Wagon Wheel. Wagon Wheel. <laughs> yeah. uh, you could never hear. I've had people come from other countries and they come to Nashville and they can barely speak English and they'll come up to the tip jar and or up to the stage and they go, hey, we want to hear Wagon Wheel. Uh, like it is that is by far the most number one requested. And that was the only thing that probably knocked uh, uh, friends in low places off the hot spot. It is. I'm telling you what, those two are, are right neck and neck. Yeah. And the only reason that I would say wagon wheel more is because I feel like there is a younger demographic now that kind of clings to wagon wheel sure. as their their friends in low places like that's their song. Yeah. So it's kind of shifting, but I mean we we're talking there literally neck and neck. Yeah. Well, that's where I walked down there one night and, and heard three different versions of <laughs> friends in low places coming out of different the fronts at the same time. It, oh, absolutely, man. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it was something else. But, man, along the way, you had another big break when you had a chance encounter with Big Smoke. Tell me about how all that came together. He took a liking to you, and uh, that, that created some cool opportunities for you. Yeah, so that's one of my favorite stories. Um, I 
don't have a crossword to say about Samoa ever because it is a yeah. wild happening of life that me and him even met because he's literally walking down the street and I'm across from where I'm about to play. I'm across Broadway uh -huh. and I'm sitting outside talking to some other musicians, just talking. And it's the middle of CMA Fest. You know, we're doing all this crazy stuff and there's a million people around and all this. And all of a sudden he walks by and nobody's bothering him. He doesn't have like a big entourage, just him and one of his friends named Big Luke. And we're sitting down there and I go, that's definitely big smell. He uh -huh. definitely just walked by. I can't not go say hi, like, I, but I'm 10 minutes from going on stage. Oh, geez. So I run over to him and, I, and I'm and i like, I, or I catch up to him and I walk up next to him and I'm like, hey, you're big smell, right? And I like kind of keep pace with him. And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, hey, man, that's really cool. I'm a big fan. And like, I'm trying to be really like nonchalant and like <laughs> just kind of walk. But I'm inside, I'm like, I got to tell him that I'm going to play. I got to get him at my show. I got to do something. So I'm like, hey, man, I know you get this a lot. I don't want to bombard you. I don't want to ruin your night. I know you're probably out hanging out. But if you're not doing anything, I'm playing over at Rippy's in like 10 minutes. Why don't you come by? And everybody was there. My mom was there. My grandparents were there. Best friends from back home were there. Um, one of my best friends, he's been my friend for uh Golly, almost 14 years now. He's also uh, one of my producers. He was there that night, and I get ready for my show. I get everything set up. I turn around to do my show, and lo and behold, Smo walks in. How about that. And he stays, and he hangs out, and he talks to my family, and he talks to my best friend, and he and he films the show, and he posts it on social media, and he's like, "This guy's the like a big the next big star," and he's like, before he leaves, he pulls me aside, and he goes. Hey man, I want you to take my number down. Um, I've got a performance in the morning. I want you to come out to come out and see us at C the CMA Fest show. And then let's talk afterwards. And I was like, great. So the next morning I call him and he tells me to come out to the gig and we go to the gig. And he's like, come out to my house this week sometime. And I go out there. And then before I know it, I'm playing in his band on tour on my first road tour ever. Wow. And, uh, he was so gracious. He, like he took my best friend under his wing too, and let us stay at his house when we were on the road and um, gave my best friend a, a place to stay on, on his land. And I mean, he just, he did a lot. He changed a lot for us and it's, it's, it was really great. And that, that would have been right about the time that, that his show was kind of hitting big on, on cable. Yeah. So it was literally kind of like the perfect storm. He like, it was the show had just come off of being as popular as it had ever been. Mm hmm. And then at like as it was kind of things were moving and it had a different time slot, he was looking to get on the road more, looking to put out more music. Mm. I just happened to meet him right before that. Like yeah. right before that. Right before putting out a new album, putting out new music, right before shooting a new music video. Like we met and then two weeks later I was at his house shooting a music video with him, planning to go on tour with him and learning his songs. It was crazy. Uh, do you guys still keep in touch? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We haven't, 2020 was a crazy year for the both of us, but so it, it's a lot of text, a lot of, you know, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, we haven't been around much, but my best friend still goes out and sees him for once in a while. Um, he's, you know, they, they work a lot together. Um, the last time uh, we worked on anything was the collab. Actually, this, you can't really see it, but off the hitch um, uh -huh. was the last big collab that we did. And so we keep in touch about that a lot. 
Um, I, I let them in on, you know, because off the hitch is getting po- more popular and more popular and more popular the longer it's out. And uh, so we, we keep them in touch about that. Well, I love that story, man, because it's like the old Wayne Gretzky uh, quote, you, you, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. So. That's right, man. I'm a huge hockey fan, too. That's, that's awesome that you brought up Wayne Gretzky. But... Uh, that's so awesome, man. I, I tell you, you know, it's been nearly three and a half years since you dropped that first single to radio. It's raining where you are. And, uh, you know, 2018, you had the EP and that's done more than 100,000 digital streams and, and still going. What has that whole journey taught you? Oh, man. It's taught me that there is a difference between putting something out because you are passionate about it mm-hmm. and putting something out because you, you feel pressure to put it out. Yeah we've always looked at our projects and anything that we do in, is it the best that we can put out? Is it done? And when we mean done, is it done? Are we going to look back on it and go, Oh, wish we could have done that. Oh, that should sound better. Oh, we should have re-recorded that. Oh, we need to tune that. Oh, that doesn't fit. If you're doing that, it's for us. It's you're, then you're not doing it right. Yeah. Because, the reason there's been a three and a half year gap between that, this is because this is a, a brand new fresh eyed kid running in going, Hey, this is what I got. I want to put it all out. Yeah. And it's, and we're proud of it. We're really proud of it, but it's just, Hey, running to get it out. And it, and we were proud to, to look at this, what we're putting out this year and the new stuff going forward and, and going, man, we've done it. We've done everything that we can do to make this as as close to as perfect as we think we can get it. it. That patience, that time, the passion that it takes to make something that you don't just want to put out to put it out. Yeah. Put it out because you believe in it. And you talk about that we. It doesn't happen without the right team in place, man. Tell me a bit about the team that you have in place to to produce these, the musicians you have behind you, yeah. and the whole whole creative team you've assembled. Man, do you ever look at your life and go, man, how, how in the world did I even get here? Every day. Every day. That's me every day. I look around at my team from Buddy Hyatt, who's played with Toto, sang with Toto, worked with the Bellamy brothers, worked with Brent Mason, all these guys, Lonnie Wilson, these great musicians. And just in knowing him, he brought me into a whole world of studio musicians where I met guys like Lonnie and Brent and all these guys. And you go, they look at you and they go, hey man, we like your song, which makes it come out different, which makes you believe in it. Because these guys that, you look up to that you've heard your entire life now say that they like your stuff and they're playing on your stuff. And then buddy's teaching you. When I say you, me, the people on, on the team, my, my mother is a part of the team. We keep her in the loop. You know, my grandparents are part of the team. We keep them in the loop because all of them teach me something and, and have pushed me to not only where I'm at, but where I'm going. Yeah. And you know, now we have guys like Doug Johnson at Black River, we have Bev, my publicist, who's amazing. Amazing. Love her and love her to death. Even her, just just with her being added to the team, has changed so much of my 
career, so much of my day-to-day life, so much of my life going forward into 2021. Yeah. Those, those relationships go so much more beyond just working. Mm-hmm. It's nice that we get to work together and that we like to work together. Yeah. But when you actually care to see the other people that are in your team win and not yourself, and you understand, hey, if you win, then we can all come up together. Yeah. That's the best part for me. And that's what I feel like I've done. And I'm lucky to have those people around because that doesn't happen every day, I feel. Yeah. What's the studio like for you? Do you enjoy being in there and that whole creative process? There's a, uh, there's, for me, there's a time and place in the studio. I get very nervous in studios. I love it. I get really inspired and I'm all in it, especially when I'm singing on a track or if I'm doing vocals that day or where if we're tracking down a song that I've written, I, I love, I love that. Huh. Conversely, I get really nervous. I get super, it's the one, I don't get nervous on stage. I don't get nervous doing stuff like this. I can talk to anybody. I can sing in front of anybody. You get me with some of the best players in Nashville. Mm-hmm. We're about to play a song. My armpits get all sweaty. I get all like, you know, to myself. And I'm like, oh, we, I guess we can play my song. That's cool. <laughs> like, I get really, I get really nervous. But I, I do love it. I think there is a beautiful moment where a song is being born. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't happen always, but there's these moments where everybody's clicking on the same beat at the same time. Everything hits just right. Yeah. And that's when you know you've got something special. You know? Yeah. Where are you at as a songwriter these days? I mean, how, how much of that, uh, how much time is, is taken of, you, of your days working on songwriting and, and where are you finding inspiration these days? So, um, because of Doug Johnson, actually, I, I mentioned him earlier with Black River, at least 30 minutes a day is done writing, at the very least. Um, that is a challenge that he set to me um, back in 2020, at, uh, I think the early part of December. And uh, it's every day, wake up or right before you go to bed, take 30 minutes, look around the room, write a song to completion. Yeah. Can you write a full song? So that keeps me on my game. That keeps me moving and writing a full song every day. Um, is it stuff that I'll put out? We'll never know. Is it good? Probably not, but that that's part of it. Um, for me, I try to write as I'm going through the day. Yeah. I try to, like, if we're talking, I'll be like, Hey, hold on one second. And like, I'll kind of like go off to the side and write something down or put something in my notes. I try to constantly be looking for something. Yeah. And then when the, the iron strikes to where, Oh, hey, that's that's something really cool. Let's let's get this down. Then it's hey, let's pick up a guitar. Let's you know do something. It's kind of my process. Uh, what else I've been doing is is doing. I do a lot of co-writes. I write with a guy named Hibbley Rob. Um, his real name is Robin Leonard, but we call him Hibbley Rob. And he wrote pieces of me with me. And so I try to set up you know a day. If I'm going to do a co-write, that's a whole day. You know, like yeah. let's get together at ten. Let's hang out, have lunch, see what we got, write some songs. And then, you know, by two, let's see what we got. Let's see if we can't keep moving forward and really come, come out with something. Man, before we go any further, would you sing another one for us? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
There's a song that comes on even now and then by Matchbox 20 about a minute in. I find myself thinking about a little boy right by the beach. Curry bands and those blue eyes and her sunburned cheeks. Sometimes I go back to that place trying to find a little spark where the water meets the waves and she's gone. But she can come back someday, so until then I hold on. Another great one from a guy that uh, calls Panama City Beach the stomping grounds. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly right, man. PCB is the best around spring break. You know, over the past couple of years, you, you've kind of ventured out off the lower broad and started building a fan base across the country. You have had a, a chance along the way to open up for, for the likes of Ashley McBride, John Ritz, yeah. and Lone Star, Jason Michael Carroll. How have those uh, experiences developed you as an artist? And what is it like kind of getting out of the uh, old neon rainbow there on lower Broadway and getting to uh, kind of venture out into the into the country and just organically build that fan base? So, wow, what a phenomenal question. You always try to prepare for stuff like this, but I don't think I, I could prepare for questions as good. This is awesome. <laughs> I would say, like, Broadway is really cool to learn a lot about performing and yeah. to get in front of a lot of people. And a lot of people will come, kind of come to you, not in the way of they are coming specifically for you, but there are there's a lot of foot traffic. Yeah. So the organicness in that is you get to handle out a lot of CDs, a lot of wristbands, a lot of, there's a lot of content that you can put out that that's hand-to-hand -hand stuff that you're like, hey, I'm Noah Garner. 
It's really nice to meet you. And people don't forget that. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, the thing about playing out, opening for people, is getting over that thought of people are here to see you. It, it was something new for me that I hadn't really had to deal with where people have paid money to see the big act. Yeah. You gotta, you now have to try to make people that may not know you, they got to meet you. They got to understand you. Hopefully they like you and you've got to make it as good as possible for the people about to come up behind you. Because if you do a bad job, then the crowd's not in it for them. And you failed your, your act, you know, you're an opener. You're supposed to liven that show up for them and, and prepare the audience for what they're about to see as uh -huh. much as, as much as enjoy what they're seeing in front of them. Um, so it taught me a lot of how, at least for me, how to engage, how to feel a crowd, how to feel a reaction, how to know when you're doing something right or doing something wrong. If you're doing something wrong, the crowd will tell you. They will. Uh, they have a funny way of doing that. Was that a role you had to grow into? I mean, was it was it tough at first to get into that groove and to be able to uh, find your way to be able to do that? I, you know what, man? I, I'd like to – I don't want to sound big-headed in saying this, but not really. I, like or not, I I've always kind of had this thing of I always love connecting with people anyway. I like yeah. talking with people. I like getting to know people. So for me, it was kind of natural to just kind of be the, the opening guy, um, especially like during stuff like CMA Fest when I was opening it up for multiple people. When yeah. I was trying to do more of like a hosting role and an in between act show than I was like the main card. Um, I found a lot of like a lot of peace in that because I could just talk and kind and kind of really be more of myself yeah. where because you know when you're when you're the main entertainer it's all about the music it's all about what what you're singing you're playing you're passing you're in it are you not or can you make them feel what you're saying and I, and as an opener i kind of get a chance to talk to you and and kind of get a chance to see what you're really about and model myself after you instead yeah. of the other way around where i've got to follow your energy so it was kind of always just kind of natural yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, man, one of the coolest things that you do, and you kind of alluded to it here a couple minutes ago, and something we always like to highlight here on the show is giving back through various charities. And I've heard you say before in interviews that you're big on veterans causes, which is something that's near and dear to our hearts here. And you also give back uh, some time as a music therapist working with special needs children. How'd you get involved in that? So um, how I got started in this. OK, there's so many ways this can go. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm trying to find the best, the best way. So, so where it all kind of started for me was with Camo Dreams and a program called Happy Dolphins in Panama City, um, where me and my mom were living at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, I got involved with just I wanted to play for um, any program that had special needs kids um, that ne that needed an activity in between activities, something mm -hmm. that you know, an hour a day, a couple hours a day of let's sit down, let's work on some cognitive skills, let's work on some um, memory skills and really dive into that through music. It's fun. Music is always a universal language. So we worked with people from all over the world, um, across different countries. So um, that was kind of where it all started. And, and then going into Camo Dreams, 
um, musicians on call here in Nashville, um, getting into all that stuff. My mom is a pediatric ICU nurse. She's she's a manager over over at a Centennial now, and so I always kind of knew. There's always been a side of me that wanted to give back. That knew that it is almost your duty when you have connections with people, and you have, you know, that ability to help. That yeah. it, it is almost your obligation to help. You know, um, you have a responsibility to me. And so um, it was kind of natural to, to follow. I would always kind of tag along with her to work anyway. Uh-huh. So it was natural for me to just kind of grab a guitar because I always had one and walk into rooms and be like, hey, I'm here for the next hour. Do you want to hang out and like maybe hear some songs? And then when I moved to Nashville, it was, hey, we have musicians on call. Do you want to get involved with that? Camo Dreams got bigger. Um, Happy Dolphins is still going around. So I, I try to do uh, a little bit with them. It's been a while. Um, but that's, that's probably my favorite thing to do is, is that part of it all. Well, you mentioned camo dreams. I think that's something else. that's awesome, man. The proceeds from your second single, it's a hunting thing were donated to camo dreams, which is a nonprofit that takes special needs and terminally ill children, uh, on a dream outdoor adventures. And that's an organization for which you've also served as a music ambassador. That's right, man. So, uh, Derek Fussell, from the time I was, I think we met when I was, I had to be 16, maybe even younger, 15. So I met him really young, really fresh into the whole world. It was kind of right before and during all that American Idol stuff. Mm-hmm. And he pushed me. He kept, he kept saying, Hey, come, come out and play these things. Come out and play these events that we're at. Come play our events come play our shows come you know come do these things with our kids just see what you can do and as they got bigger the events got bigger my crowds got bigger my chances and my opportunities got bigger so i always wanted i always knew that if i had a chance um i would want to give back to them i mean for they put me, they were my first connection into the radio industry in, in Panama. And I, I knew that I would want to do something for them that will always and forever be theirs. When I heard about hunting thing and uh, the writers approached me with it, I was like, man, I know exactly what we want to do with this. And, and I said, I'll, I'll sing it, but we have to make all the proceeds go to Camo Dreams. I, I won't sing it otherwise. And because I because I knew, you know, that I would want to give back to them. So that's my that's kind of my way of giving back. So if you haven't downloaded it yet and you want to go to a good cause, go check out. Uh, it's a hunting thing. It's off my first album off the hitch. It's at No Garner Music everywhere. Um, if you want to support a cool cause and you like hunting outdoor stuff, go go support it. I love it. It's for the kids. So make sure you go check that out. And I tell you what, if you couldn't be doing music for a living, what else would you be doing? I would probably be a wildlife conservation officer, probably mm-hmm. in Tennessee or Florida. Um, that was always kind of the plan. I had a full ride scholarship to Florida state to, to kind of go on that track of, of doing something in, in wildlife conservation in Florida. Hmm. So that's always kind of on the plate. 
And uh, I always said if I if I didn't do music, I would teach somehow. Somehow I would do something in special needs education or education in general. Of because I feel like that I'm I would be good at if I'm good at talking to people. I'd be good at talking to classes all day. Yeah, well, I know music is pretty much a twenty four seven gig. You know, for for the most part, what what do you like to do away from music? How how do you take a step back and decompress? Oh man, hockey. I, I love playing hockey. I, I do a ton of outdoor stuff. I hunt, I fish, I do a lot of fish and I do a lot of my boat. Um, but I play hockey a lot. That's a mountain bike, anything that's outside I do. And then if I'm going to be inside, it's going to be hockey. That's my thing. How long you been doing that? Oh man. So we're coming into what would be my second year. Like we're like a year and a half into playing hockey. Um, uh-huh. I, I was always kind of a fan. I grew up watching the lightning with my grandparents, my grandpa. And then when I moved here and I went to my first Predators game, it was over. You know, yeah. it's, like, it's just awesome. I love their vibe. I love the intensity of the fans. And then after a few years of watching the Predators play, I was finally like, I guess I'll try. I can't, like, it can't hurt to try. And I was wrong. It can hurt to try. <laughs> like, <laughs> it can hurt really bad. And so, uh, but yeah, man, after a little while, you get it down. And six months in, I, I got to join a team and I haven't been the same since. It's all I do. That's awesome. It's a lot of fun, man. I've been there. It's it's good stuff. Definitely good stuff, man. I'm on three different teams right now. And I could so it's it's literally my entire life is like music and hockey at this point. I love it. Well, I tell you what, man, at the beginning of the show, we talked about new music coming from you. You released a single, Got to Get to You, and that song's doing well. Now you're looking at your first LP release later this year. How are things looking with that? Man, it's looking awesome. So Got to Get to You organically is, is, has done pretty well view-wise on Facebook and, and, and YouTube. And for that to be our first major release, we, we, we did a music video for Is It Raining Where You Are? And that was a couple of guys uh, there's actually big smoke behind the the camera and me and my best friend editing all that. And that's how that video came about. And now got to get to you as our first video that was our real production, real deal crew, real deal editors, the whole nine. And for it to be doing as well as it's done and blows our mind. It, you know, you never expect things to, like we said before, you hope for the best, you expect the worst. You never expect things to go that well off the jump. But yeah. they have, and looking into going into um, this LP, we're really excited. We have a song on there called Fallen that is written by a man named Jim Vest. If you don't know who Jim Vest is, he is a legend in the Nashville circuit. Um, so we're super proud to be doing that song. It just, again, one of those opportunities where you meet somebody, they believe in you. It's crazy that that would even happen. So that's on this LP, and we're really looking forward to that. It sounds great. We can't wait for people to hear it. Spring Break Town is also on this uh, first LP, and we've been playing that in a lot of songwriters' rounds lately, and it's been going over really well. People seem to like it. So, so far, we're really excited, and it's going really well. So do you have a release date-ish, or are we still working on that? Uh, we're still kind of working on that. We're shooting for hopefully somewhere within this first quarter, um, uh-huh. towards the end of this first quarter, um, but we're not exactly nailing down a date yet. Again, it goes back to that whole – we want it to be make sure that we're releasing everything, you know, on the money, on time, you yeah. know. Um, and we're doing three different LPs this year. So we're mm-hmm. trying to see if we can't do some content over some time. Yeah, 
For sure. Well, I want to roll this video here. Forgot to get to you. Set this one up for me. Tell me what we're going to see here. So what you're going to see is what our take of a modern country music video and maybe like a George Strait 90s country video looks like. A little fun of, you know, having to get to somebody that you just can't wait to get to. I love it. Well, we'll let you all out there be the judge. I'm going to roll this. This has got to get to you from Noah Garner. Going as fast as I can to get across that state line That limit sign says seven over bore me That's just way too slow I'm pushing this old motor as hard as it can go To get to you I just gotta get to you For driving way too fast I don't care if this girl I drive across the map Honey, it's true I just got to get to you I've got Things to do once I get there. Number one is run my fingers through your hair. Two is give you a kiss so hot you can feel it in your bones. Start counting down, girl. I've only got ten more miles to go. Busted for driving way too fast I don't care if this girl I drive across the map Honey, it's true I just got to get to you
bus if we're driving way too fast. I don't care if this girl I drive across the map. Honey, it's true. I just got to get to you. I just got to get to you. Oh, man. I, I tell you what, that thing sounds awesome in the cans. It's awesome. Man, thank you so much. I re really, really do appreciate it. What what is the rest of 2021? I know it's a hugely loaded question at this point, but, yeah. but how's it how's it shaking out here? Man, 2021. The big hope for us, what we are hoping to achieve is as many live shows as possible in as many places as possible. Yeah. Is it going to be possible to get to as close as we can to whoever wants to hear us? Can we get out there? Can we put on a show? If so, what does that show look like? What does the spacing look like? What is the social distancing requirements? You know, what is all that going into it? Uh, those are all pretty unknowns for right now, but yeah. not anything that we're not, you know, willing to work with and against and, you know, keep pushing forward. Um, other than that, it's a lot of getting the content out, pushing. Um, we're doing a few videos, uh, so we'll be looking forward to doing those, more of those. Um, we're doing lyric videos, we're doing acoustic shows, we're doing more songwriters rounds this year. That's a big one for us. We're trying to do even more local stuff. So if you're in Nashville, around Nashville, you, it's not just the Broadway shows that you're trying to catch anymore. It's songwriters rounds. Uh, what else in 2021? I think that's it. I think that is the gist of what we're trying to get done. You know, once your career is in its twilight and you look back on everything you've accomplished, what's it going to take for you to consider all this success? And how, how do you want to be remembered as an artist? I would think that there's a song that George Strait sings called When the Credits Roll. Mm. And it says, when the credits roll and I get to see all the parts I played, would I be a little less villain and a little more hero? Mm -hmm. what will I see when the credits roll for me it's I hope that I can look back on my career and, and know that I gave it everything I had that I didn't you know fall into the traps that some people can fall into alcohol drugs things like that I don't want to mess up anything I want to look back on it and go man I gave it every single ounce of me that I had and know that there wasn't a stone or anything left unturned yeah, that's that's the big one for me. Well, I tell you what, no, if folks want to download your music, follow your career and all that good stuff, where, where can they go online and, and on socials to get that done? So you can start at noahgarnermusic.com. Definitely check there. Those have a link to all the socials. It's Noah Garner Music on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. That is the only thing that uh, we go by. And then Noah Garner on your Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify. What else are we on? Pandora um farmersonly.com whatever else i mean all of that stuff noah thank you so much for taking the time to join us here man i hope you come back anytime you got new music to share you always got a home here on, on fast line fast track we love having you and uh, you're welcome back anytime 
Brother, man, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thank you for the space and thank you for having me. And we want to thank you for joining us this week. And we want to say a special shout out to our musical sponsor, the Ernest Tub Record Shop 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Hope that when you're in the Nashville area, you'll go and check them out. They have a great selection of vinyl, CDs, and merchandise. And if they don't have it, I know they'll find it for you. So stop by and say hi and tell them you heard it on Fast Line Fast Track. And are you in the market for snow removal equipment, a new tractor, perhaps a new planter? Well, if so, head on over to FastLine.com and check out the equipment located with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. Again, that's FastLine.com. While you're on the website, please be sure to sign up for the print catalog for your state or region. No need to head into town to pick one up off the convenience store rack. The FastLine catalog is being delivered directly to your mailbox and it's still a favorite resource of farmers and ranchers across our great country. And don't forget to subscribe to the Fast Line Fast Track podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Deezer, Audible, and Radio.com. And be sure to hit us up on all those socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Well, it's time for us to get on out of here. So until next time, it's Brent Adams saying y'all come back and bring along a friend. You've been listening to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites, FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and PinkTractor.com. If you have topic suggestions for future podcasts, drop us a line at Brent.Adams at FastLine.com.